Hey, this is fun. Thanks a lot for including me in this. I'm, I'm really kind of excited for this. Uh, but my name's Rue, and I'm here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to help ask some questions about uh, the uh, Imperium Decree campaign. Uh, we're going to call this podcast probably the Imperium Report or something equally classy, I'm sure, because this is a classy show, right? This is this is what uh, this is how you know you've made it, right? All right. If you have a recap show, you know you've done it right. You, exactly, you know you've done it right. But uh, I've got some guesses, uh, some guests here. I've, I've, I've got uh, uh, Elena and Brian and... Kiri. Kiri, thank you. Uh, and uh, we we're going to talk about uh, our last episode here, which was entitled... Family Bonds, right? Episode 3, uh, uh, Season 1. We're going to do this in a couple seasons, right? Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> I know exactly. You, 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 you're you're in it now, whether you like it or not. And uh, so, uh, let me ask you a couple questions. Well, first of all, let's talk about the the episode. It started. You were in the cart, the the carriage with the von Drax, uh, and uh, we were talking with the young Isabella von Drax, who uh, was a complete fangirl, right? She was really excited to, to, to be with you. You barely insulted her by talking about her dead mother. That was not at all uncomfortable. Ooh, no, not at all. Yeah, exactly. That was a Gideon call, too. That was a Gideon comment. Was... Mike forgets things sometimes. Oh, yeah? And that's going to make for some really good moments. Uh, it already has, yeah. I'm looking forward to more of those. That seems like neat. But uh, then not at all angry, she leaves to go off with her father, which I assume is because you can't get into shenanigans with, uh, you know, the boss's daughter on board, right? Uh, and uh, as I recall, you you end up uh, looking at the village of no, it's a city of uh, Athenia, right? Which is uh, super neat. It's all the all the masonry has been like. Scratched and, and pitted and in a scary way. In a, there's some sort of uh, some sort of beastie that's going around. That I think the the people there actually say not that it's cursed, but it's been forsaken. Forsaken. Thank you. That's the word. It's been better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's not at all not at all good. And the people are just so nonchalant about it. Just like yeah, we've been forsaken, which you know it's kind of bad, but. Uh, yeah, you're welcome to stay here. There's not at all creepy town. And you should try the potato soup while you're here. Okay, try bye. the potato soup. That's I love right. That you guys didn't bite on that lead into a subplot line. You were just like, nope, fuck the end. <laughs> I gotta tear things apart. I'm busy. I figured we'd come back to the potato soup eventually. If we can get out from underneath the ground. Oh, that's true. Y'all are stuck there. But we're, we're jumping ahead. Stay on topic. I'm here, I'm making noises on the microphone, and we are recording here at the Adventures Academy. That's why you hear some background noise coming along, all sorts of uh, uh, commerce going on over there. Uh, but that's half the charm, right? Once again, this is how you know you've made it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you went to the Apothecary. Uh, tell me about, like, what was Sam trying to buy? It's like, 
does as a druid, couldn't he just like dig it out of the ground or spell components? Yeah, question I think, mark. I think he was trying to do spell components. I think one of my favorite things about playing with Eric is that as a character, you really don't know a lot about his characters when they first get started. But Nothing. Eric, Eric as a player is a wild card across the board, regardless of what campaign he's in. So you know something yeah. great's going to happen, and it's going to be last minute and clutch. But no one ever knows what it is, including himself, until a second before it happens. He's oh the gosh. player that I'm the most afraid of. Derailing something completely. Seriously, hundred percent. So you don't even know what's happening over no. here. The way that he makes decisions and creates situations and subplots for his character while yeah. trying to do something like with the um, the masonry guild in episode two, where he was trying to find the plans for the temple where the spider was at, so he could get back the spider. I had no idea that was what his goal was with going. No there. one knew what his plan was with that until after we were done recording, and Artemis just said, "Artemis picked it up relatively said, quickly." Hey, but like, uh, are you just trying to get the spider back? And I was like, "Oh crap! I didn't even think about that." Oh yeah. He's um. I was he's definitely a wild card. But he also plays in such a creatively dynamic way from a lot of standard players. When you look at someone who picks a druid as a class, they do it with the outlook of here's X, Y, and Z of how I want to play this character. I have never seen anybody play, even in Stradania, uh, Backlash Fall, the way that he played his character was just pure geniusly chaotic. Oh, yeah? Geniusly chaotic is the best way to describe him. I love how unique his voice is, too, on the podcast. I always know it's, it's him, because he's got that gravelly, uh, sort of a low delivery. Uh, it's, it's really good. All right, so no one knows quite what he was doing in this apothecary, <laughs> which was staffed by two uh, identical twins... Not at all mirror creepy. Twins. Not at all creepy you at all. Spoke in in mirror. There's a little bit about that later, but uh, next stop is the temple, right, mm-hmm. of uh, Tupali. Well, you you can't avoid going to a temple when you're the cleric sitting directly opposite from the DM, <laughs> and the DM is going, "The city has been forsaken, forsaken by the gods, by the gods, by your god, actually." Yes, <laughs> and it's just like giving me this look. I was like. Choices, choices. Fair. Guess I'm going to the temple. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Plot, good plot hooks. But even in times of uh, war, the temple would never close. That's true. Yeah. There's no reason. That's where where the people would go. It's like to to be safe, and here it's been shut down. So they were like, the priests went off to the city, and I was like, no, they didn't. I bet they didn't. There's a little confusion there about getting in, unlocking the door. That's how we found out that you Bring were a it. forge cleric, Ryan. That was kind of kind of interesting because you're like, "Give me money!" Like, no, you're not going to buy these thieves' tools. You're like, "Where we're well, going, we don't need." Bought the thieves' tools and not bought twice about yeah. it. You guys have spent a lot of money on really random stuff. I, Bags of, of. I mean, they've come they've come in handy. <laughs> We've needed those to pick multiple locks in just one session, so it was worth the twenty-five gold. Ducks. I, I mean, yeah. Like, I can only imagine what we would have done if we broke in and then had to break down every door. Jesus. Um, kind of realized in that instant we didn't have a rogue. Yeah. Um, I'm so. shifty like a rogue. I'm not actually a rogue. Again, this is where I go back to you know, clerics are just some of the most versatile classes. So yeah. like. It's, also, it's weird too to not have a room in your party. I feel like that's one of the most commonly picked classes in D&D just for the capabilities um, from a usability standpoint. It also comes back to the weirdness that my dex is a 19 as a cleric. Yeah. So like, the ability to craft these tools and then be like, I'm not going to use them. Four without proficiency? So, 
Okay. Yeah. We'll touch on that later. I'm I'm sure maybe in another one we can talk about uh, how these characters came to be. But uh, you eventually get into the the temple. Uh, you find it's sort of uh, been I don't know that ransacked, but it looks like it's been disused. The altar's been moved. There are piles of dust or dirt and like about two foot piles. I I, I think Ryan thought that those perhaps were the people. Like leftover, which is a very Star Trek thing. Way, like they've yeah. been deconstituted, I mean, especially after it was clarified that it was ashes. Yeah, um, it was ashes. Ashes. Yeah, that's that's was Sam was like, I just kind of rub my hand through it, and stick it in my pockets. <laughs> yeah, another thing, another Sam thing that we're like, but what? I, mean, I, I, yeah. I was down for the like, I'm gonna like run my hand through it and see if there's something in it, but the. No, no, he bottled yeah. the human yeah. remains and put them in his pocket. Well, we're not sure they're even human remains yet, are we? I mean, they weren't, like, human-sized. Oh, no. It was, that's true. I mean, could have been... piles around an altar. It was something human in shape. And they were magic. They still had magic uh, residue and they were on them. magic. And the altar was moved. Yes. So you're able to, to, to move it, and I guess in the process of doing that... You just walked right on top of a so, gigantic pit. So if, I, if I've understood this right, the altar had been moved and then moved back. Right. Yeah, it was, the altar had been slid. And we could oh, see the, the gaps. Where we've it, got visual aids here for yeah. those of you <laughs> on the podcast. So we could see the scrape marks on the floor. We could see the scrape yep. marks, but it had been shifted back. And I so took three steps back it. and said, you guys are idiots. I'm not touching that. <laughs> and then all I guess, four of them did I guess, anyway. I'm, I'm curious. Was the floor illusory? No. Hey, cool. Cool. Well, remember... None of you cast light. None of you lit any torches or anything. No, yeah, no. That no. that's the problem with running with dark vision. And that's where I know some DMs struggle with this. Oh, we all have dark vision. We can see everything. Yeah. No, you you, you can. see shades of gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you don't really have depth perception. Ooh. So like, it makes for an interesting dynamic. Now, I'll be honest. I was terrified as you went. Um, so so. Are you are you on all four sides of this? And I was just like, oh god, we're gonna be disintegrated. <laughs> and I took another step back. Like, oh, oh no, no. <laughs> we are all standing on one side of the table and pushing. Cool, you all fall in a pit. Like a bunch of bumbling buffoons. That's that, that's all. I forgot about that. So you you even thought maybe the four corners were where the four. All right. So I did a an acrobatics check to see if they fell. Yep. And then if they fell, do. They catch themselves on the way down, so I gave them two layers of safety of rolls. Saves, yep. And it was double sixes and double ones across the board for both. That'll happen. And y'all luckily, once again, two clerics and a druid. Y'all have way too much healing. Yeah, you could probably both clerics went down. Yeah, both that's clerics true. went down both and the druid was in those checks. Oh, that's right. Like he helped push. He held up, but the druid was in those checks too, and I yelled down the hole, "Idiots!" <laughs> oh man, I was unconscious and did not hear. It's all good, but uh, you got down there. You started exploring. You got yourself back on on your feet. Uh, did you guys take a short rest down? I guess not. We just no. went right no. into it. Uh, all we right, had, we had three hours tonight, and that was at the start. Yep. Oh, that's right. So beasts coming out at night. Sounded pretty clear that tonight was going to be a night. Um, we had three hours. I burned an hour of that on the ritual to get the lockpicks. Yep. True. 
So, two hours tonight, there was no, there was no thought of a short rest for me. No, I didn't even think about that either, but I also didn't fall down a hole, so I was pretty set with yeah. <laughs> HP at that point. Yeah. Well, uh, then you guys start to explore underneath this this temple, these catacombs, which are not normal to temples of Tupali. I, I would assume maybe a place to uh, to bury your dead, maybe. But would you put that underneath the altar? Probably not. No. That seems. And I, I think one of the cool things about D and D is everyone, for the most part, when you're starting in the game, yeah, dungeons are cool because dungeons mean treasure. Yes. But that's not the fact of what a dungeon is. Right. A dungeon is filled with treasure or it is a prison for something you don't want to get out yes so all right which case is that is this some type of treasure being sealed is it a demonic entity being sealed is it something that was imprisoned i think the mummy for example uh, when they um, uh. went through the, the mummification process dropped him in there with all the scarabs and then buried him alive you mm-hmm. know like that kind of thing is technically a dungeon it's, yeah and and that uh I guess that's what the, everyone realizes that this place is called the Tomb of Balakai, right? Yep. Balke. I'm sorry. I pronounced it. I pronounced it incorrectly. But uh, yes. So does that mean that we'll see a Balke? No. Maybe. Maybe. Not sure yet. Yeah. Don't give that away. I mean, that could be interesting. We've got plenty down there to explore. That's true, and which you did. You found the two mirrors. That was interesting. What's under here? Well, well first we found the crypt. Oh, that's right. Okay. First we wandered into the room with two dozen, like, what I think we assumed to be honor guard buried with him before a locked door. Oh, boy. Okay. Um... And then we kind of said, yeah, we're going to turn around and check the next area first. Just in case. Let's go the other way. Which led to the mirrors. The mirrors were also in a hallway of dozens of doors, right? Yeah. Creepy, terrifying. Well, and the thing that drives me nuts about Elena as a DM is she takes very innocuous objects and makes them enchanted or haunted or evil or magical in some way and I'm just like everyone's oh it's just a mirror I'm like no it's never just a mirror it's never just a door it's never just a box it's never a crate there's always and it's not it's almost never a mimic that's the stupid part everyone assumes it's going to be a mimic and it's just not so yeah I wasn't going to look in the mirror either and here we are. So playing a drow who's always looking behind him, that's that's sort of second nature for you as a player. That and having just finished up the Stradania campaign, which everything is trying to kill you in Curse, every... Curse of Strahd. Curse, yeah, Curse of Stradania, yeah. right? Got it. Yeah, we gender-bent uh, Strahd into Stradania, and that campaign scared the crap out of me and made me jumpy <laughs> as a player across the board. But Nadal as a character is also very jumpy and has spent his whole life... Very jumpy. Very jumpy, very paranoid, has been looking over his shoulder his entire life because he's the youngest of seven, and his six older siblings are all female, so he's expected to just kind of -of run-of-the-mill soldier basic work and disappear into the background until all of them were dead and he was the only one left. So he's been running for quite some time and is paranoid all the time, but no one else in the party really knows that part of his backstory yet. They just think that he's a paranoid idiot all the time. Yep. But that makes sense. You know, never seen the sun. 
hate this. I mean, the sun probably yeah. hurts. It's probably like, well, how do you guys stand it out here? Yeah, it's so... <laughs> Horse. His, Horse. Yeah, <laughs> the cloak and the gloves are twofold. So the gloves that he puts on all the time are mostly to cover up his skin so people don't know that he's a drow. And then the hood pulled forward all the time is because the sun's super bright and I'm trying to avoid Got having it. to roll up disadvantage while in sunlight. But, um, yeah, he just likes to keep himself in the shadows and look as... Uh, forgettable as possible just fade in yep. fade into the background all right so what else is in the crypt of uh Balke? there was uh, uh the the honor guard the mirrors you guys managed to figure that out I mean, just more or less without dying which was good <laughs> i mean we looked down the hallway and i think a lot of us came to the same conclusion of yeah i don't know that we want to leave these behind us um so taking that time to pick the locks and see the crates and um, I I'm coming from a very different spot as a player than Kiri is. Very I different. I have DM'd for these two. Oh, I have okay. Never played in one of Elena's games. Um, coming into this, and I also come in with that kind of video game mentality of like, oh, I want to see what I want to see what's here. I'm also coming with the You're DM. the guy who opens all the, the urns and like crashes all the chests and I I'm also the one who like goes and investigates every question mark on the map. Got and, it. Um but even as a DM, I love the idea of like I know I hide cool things mm-hmm. in stupid places. Yep. And I know I want to go looking for that. So you want to go to all the stupid places and look. And then that lining up with their kind of seeing I think the doll phrase is cold indifference. All right. Varric yeah. sees this cold indifference of everybody to the plight of this city and something going on. Right. And it doesn't sit right. Um, he doesn't want to get involved in the violence of it, okay. but like, just the idea that something's up. And something is with a lot of innocent people. Yeah. And now that I'm down here, I kind of have to investigate. That's also right. mixed with just morbid curiosity. <laughs> like, um, and you get a bit of that dynamic between Varric and Thea of, you shouldn't go do this. Well, I'm going to go do this. Yep. But I think that was one of the best lines of the entire episode, was you freaking out and just hearing subtly, God damn it, Varric. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think a lot of that stems then from the fact that Varric and Thea would have spent a hundred years together growing up got it to be separated for the last five okay um five or six while he was gone and he sees her in a different light than she is now but also he just assumes that she has no good reason to do what she does (laughs) and that he has all the best intentions in the world yep um and he's the older brother not the younger brother yeah just the very sibling mentality there of yep of course I know what I'm doing yeah. Don't yeah, make I me know, ask for directions. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and of course, now y'all are you're stuck. How are you going to get out of this place? You went looking for the exit, didn't you? And and then hearing one set of footprints, one set of footsteps, footfalls? two voices, two yeah. voices, and a set of footsteps. And I and think... seeing nothing, and then again a set of footprints and two voices and i think one of the 
my favorite dynamics of Elena as a DM is that she won't necessarily make you roll for every single thing, but she'll slip in a detail, and if you don't catch it, too bad. Oh, and boy. that was one of those things. It was, oh, you hear two voices and a set of footsteps, and we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, footsteps. No one paid attention to the fact that it was two voices and one set of footsteps, and no one paid attention to the fact that the scratches were on stone, but there were no scratches on the road. They were only on the buildings and the walls, which makes it even more confusing because it narrows it down to like only a couple of possibilities of what that could be, and I don't like without metagaming, what could what even could that be? True. Something walking around on hind legs and scratching. Yeah. Like I'm thinking cat at a scratching post. <laughs> I um, have no idea. Interesting. I I keep going back to uh, definitely now after the end of the episode and the eggs. I keep going to Wyferns. Ooh. Like that large flyers that are gonna drop down and like scrape their way down the side of the stone. We all are getting ahead of me. The wyverns, we had a little, uh, like a, a riddle... Riddle fest. Riddle fest, which was, that tickled me. I was in the Discord line trying to guess it so that I could... I, I want to play too. Yeah, and you got halfway through to yeah. just talking about you doing it. Exactly, and then you all are like, ah, people are looking it up on Google right now. Uh, which I was so excited. And then you, you find these eggs, of course, of wyverns, and uh, I assume y'all are gonna have fun raising these things and naming them and you know, potty training them and feeding them. God knows what they they eat, but I mean, uh, probably rats right out of the egg. But I mean, um, post game uh, was revealed to us that they have names. Yeah, oh. they came with names, um, but they haven't been said out loud yet. Um, and I think. The biggest concern for Nadal right now is just protecting this egg, and now we're kind of stuck between not being able to go back up the way that we came in, but also yep. not being able to go forward because we don't know what those two voices are. And the whole time I'm just like, how do I not break this egg? Yep. Plus, my egg is cold, and the other two are warm, so that's also concerning. So <laughs> I don't. I think one of the other things to note is the world's lore. Like when you look at the Wyvern Corps. They do a selection every 12 years, and they are really particular because that's basically the air force of the Empire. Right. So when, for example, with Gideon's character, he was sent to recruit for the Imperium Magnum. Well, the same thing happened on all sides and all fronts. All of them were sent to recruit. The only way to recruit someone to be in the Wyvern Corps is if the egg chooses them. So how did these eggs get from wherever they were supposed to be to a crate and a trunk? In a crate. ground in a crate. And a locked a, church. A crate locked labeled down. with the symbols mm-hmm. of, oh, yeah. the, um, of the Oaken Shield Conservatory over the symbols of the Von Drocks. Right? Right? Do you guys have any ideas what that could be? Like, why are these two... Uh, uh, and I, they're, they're two of the three uh, uh, merchant houses, right? We don't know what the third one is yet, but we know the first two are the, the Von Drocks. And the uh, Oakenfolds, who run the Oaken Shield Conservatory, uh, and of course Von Drack was talking with you guys saw Von Drack talking with the governor and uh, Earth Genasi guy, who we all don't know who that guy is yet, but that'll be fun to figure out. Um, no idea who that is or who this the, the third. Uh, I mean, if if all these people are are uh, 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 competing. That uh, could either either be one or the both of them uh, doing shenanigans, or maybe the third trying to frame one of them, right? 
sounds like a lot of competition while also trying to play nice with public faces. Yeah, it seemed that way. At least, I mean, player out of character, mm-hmm. just is- Isabella talking about, oh yeah, no, everybody's best friends and we all have lunch together and it's happily ever after. And I'm like, no competing merchant guild is happily ever after with multiple other competitors in the same, like, there's no way. There has to be something else that she doesn't know is going on that's happening in the background. And that was a perfect example when the labels were peeled off of those crates. And I'm like, okay, so somebody's embezzling from somebody or smuggling from somebody or something's going on, but we just don't know the magnitude of it yet. The question is also... Who controls the space where we're at? Yeah. Because we know the Vondrocks have a presence in the city as they stopped here. So, so is this Vondrock territory? Or has this space been taken by the Oakenshields? Or has this been taken by whatever the third group is? So it really is going to depend on what's on the other side of that door. Oh, wow. All right, and let's let's finish up by talking about that door and uh, following the footprints up to what was going there, and uh, Gideon just following them, and y'all thinking that he was uh, a genius or something. Oh, that was that was Yeah, well, and I so I I'm a big fan of riddles and puzzles and like uh, trick rooms uh, playing D and D, but I was like, ooh, puzzle floor, and he's like, do 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 do. I'm like, oh, okay, well. <laughs> We'd also just come off the riddles. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and the riddles had been very heavily for Nadal and Thea and Varric. Right. Mm-hmm. With, with some kind of input on the two main riddles we struggled on. True. Because, um, I mean, we took we took five minutes on the piano and ten on air. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Um, but we get to the description of this room and the floor and the footprints and the tiles... And you start thinking puzzle floor. I'm like, oh, cool, math, and let's get to it. And Mike, goes, <laughs> Mike goes, so who's good at floor puzzles? Like, yeah, exactly. And well, and then Asteria's like, oh, can you see footprints on the floor? Dan's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like I wouldn't have even have thought like, to ask cool, that. Cool, start across the footprints. Yeah. And maybe those are the footprints and the voices you heard before? Maybe. Oh, boy. Probably. You guys completely avoid an Indiana Jones situation. Uh, it seemed as though it was set up to be an Indiana Jones situation, and that's why I was kind of taking a step back, but then Asterian's like, yeah, no, that's cool, I'll just walk all the way across, and I'm like, oh, okay, nothing happened. All right, well, here we are. Well, we are excited to hear what happens this next uh, episode coming up. This has been really exciting. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Uh, we're at yeah. time here, but uh, we'll look forward to what you guys have next. And uh, uh, we're, we just want to know what happens next, I guess. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Or is there anything you guys want to uh, share? That we have like a minute or two left here. No. Yes. Shut up, Andrew. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a blast to play D&D. Yeah. Um, it is. I really appreciate too. what Elena's done. This is It's so much tension and, and anxiety. And, and, we, and we put together such a great table, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it really like, have. Um, one of the best narrative DMs that I've played with. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric, we've already talked about the, the pure chaos. <laughs> um, Mike is one of the best resource-managing support casters that mm-hmm. I've played with or DM'd for, um, like to a T. Um, Artemis super- got me hooked up with uh, Critical Role. Uh, Artemis has been playing for a while, knows how to play it, and knows how to play it from plenty of angles. Yep. Kayla's a fantastic descriptive DM, and Kiri's such a strong player as well. Like, 
who just have such yeah. a good. And Ryan's okay ride. too. You're you're. Ryan's alright. <laughs> I'm just here for the ride. <laughs> yeah. This is just a blast. Exactly. All right. Thanks again. Have a great night. Thank you. We'll see you next week.